is Iron Sports, and we're so honored to have legendary uh, NFL kicker, Kansas City Hall of Famer, Kansas City Chief Hall of Famer, Nick Lowry on the show. Nick, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you. And it's funny, I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, coming to West Palm Beach today and uh, tomorrow doing an event on the Health Corps, which I helped launch with Dr. Oz literally the day after the Super Bowl in in my home state right now in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow, that's that's awesome. Well, you're going to enjoy the weather's here is great. You're going to love coming to West Palm Beach right now. Um, I met you at the Taste of the NFL party, and I, I describe when I go to the Super Bowl all the events I go to around the Super Bowl, and you have to admit that Taste of the NFL party with, I don't know, 50 NFL legends with all the co- all the chefs and everything, really just one of the highlights of every Super Bowl weekend. Yes, and it just keeps getting better, and you know it's beautifully organized. I, and I have to tell you, I, I did two separate... Uh, multi-hour autograph signings during the week of the Super Bowl. And both of them, despite the craziness of Las Vegas and, and Super Bowl week, every single person was engaged, happy, uh, kind, respectful. You know, usually there's the knucklehead factor. And when you're <laughs> signing autographs for, you know, 500 people, um, you'd think there would be one weird person. <laughs> so to me, that's something we need to recognize in the midst of, you know, the divisiveness that can happen in today's world, at least the projection that, you know, we're all divided, that, you know, there are so many good people there. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to have everyone kind hearted, grateful, respectful. So I'm putting that energy out there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And, you know, you're, you're in Las Vegas and I was listening to some interviews you did and I'm looking and I'm like, wait a second. You said the Chiefs were going to score 25, 26 points and Harrison Buckner, the kicker, was going to kick four field goals. Well, of course, they scored 25, not 26, but he kicked four field goals. I, I Did you place any bets on those predictions? Because I that- wish I did. I also said he'd have a field goal over 50 yards and he had a 57 yarder, <laughs> even with a high snap. So I should have, you know, it's, it's <laughs> I won the CNBC start draft uh, almost twice. I wanted. I beat Kevin O'Leary back in 2018, and and I should have learned my lesson. I need to start betting on myself these way these days. But uh, uh, I also predicted the previous game against Baltimore when almost everyone was saying Baltimore is the best team in the NFL. I predicted we win by seven points, which is exactly what we did. Wow. So and let's talk about that Super Bowl run a little bit. I, It's just, I mean, you played for the Chiefs from 80 to 93, you know, a great time, great period with Marty Schottenheimer. You made the playoffs four years in a row. I think, you know, the, the game against Miami when you lost in the playoffs, Montana, Marino, Bills, Chargers, you know, I said the Steelers, you beat the Steelers and that's my team in overtime. So you had a great run there with the Chiefs. But to see this, the Chiefs get through and win these titles and win the three titles, it must be, you know, once a Chief, always a Chief, you must be really proud about what, what this teams they've been able to accomplish the last couple of years? Oh my gosh, couple of years. It's now five Super Bowls, you know, three championships, uh, excuse me, uh, four Super Bowls in five years, three championships. And the, and the one in Miami, I was there. I actually, my friend Harris Faulkner, who was the anchor for Fox in Kansas City, that 93-94 playoffs when I was with Joe Montana, Derek Thomas, and Neil Smith, and Marcus Allen, and Marty Schottenheimer, and we really had a very good team, went one game away from the Super Bowl against Buffalo. Um, She took me to that game 
and left, left her husband behind to look after the kids. We, we watched and witnessed his first Super Bowl championship in 55 zero years. So when you do the arithmetic and you go, we had to wait 50 years. And then now suddenly this plethora, this you know, incredible avalanche of greatness, um, it's great. And, of course, now everybody's going to start talking about Patrick Mahomes as God. And I don't know if he's God, but he is such a blessing because basically no defensive scheme can stop him because he has this, unlike the other great quarterbacks, including Lamar Jackson, you know, it's one thing to be a great athlete. It's another thing to be a great uh, technical quarterback, but but Patrick has all those things, and he he literally willed a group of receivers that at best were average, um, with without a Tariq Hill, which who of course everybody listening knows <laughs> in Miami, um, you know he was able to will this team with some help from great coaching from Andy Reid and Steve, Steve Spagnola, incredible defense. But still, it's, it's incredible, and I will remind you of a story from before all this happened, the year before when a one-inch <laughs> offside penalty on D. Ford when we're playing in the AFC Championship game against a guy named Tom Brady, and uh, literally we're you know, an offside penalty from making it. And I'm in Atlanta afterwards in the Super Bowl uh, at Lee Steinberg's party, and Lee, kindly enough, uh, presented me with a humanitarian award, uh, which is called the Steinberg's Di Nicola Award. And I'm backstage with Patrick. Now, Patrick's fresh from showing <laughs> exactly what he can do. Just incredible. And um, he, uh, he says to me, how you doing? How about, the, how about those Chiefs? I said, yeah, let's win, let's win a Super Bowl. And without hesitating, he said, Let's win a bunch. <laughs> and, and and that's exactly what he's done. So I don't know. I mean, I, you can say Joe Namath, who's up there in Jupiter, one of my favorite people ever, one of the most kind people ever, who, you know, for that one game guaranteed a victory and, you know, just uh, epitomizes uh, the confidence and leadership of great quarterbacks. But to do it again and again and again, the, to me the cement will be – this coming year, the next couple of years, to continue it. Because what happens, as we know, is you lose usually a couple key coordinators, usually your coordinators, or at least one of them, and you, you lose the big stars. And yet somehow, like Tom Brady did, to give him credit, with different personnel, we're still winning. So what's going to be interesting is do we add a, a wide receiver, right, because we really did need a little bit more uh, balance and threat to take pressure off of Travis Kelsey. Uh, do we need a little bit more offensive line help? But all those things, with Brett Beach as our general manager and Andy Reid, we just seem to find a way. And we found a way despite playing really poorly, even as late as December, late in December against the Oakland Raiders, the, I call them Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. And then what are the constants, though, on the team with all the change has been Travis Kelsey? And certainly everybody you know, remembers him, thinks of him with Taylor Swift. But the way that it's funny that Kelsey and Gronkowski, both these Brady and Montana, both rely so much on these tight ends and how great each one of them has different players. Gronkowski is much you know, more of a blocker and a receiver, too, whereas Kelsey is just, you know, an elite receiver. But Kelsey has just been such I mean, he was criticized at the beginning of the year so much for, oh, he's losing it. He's lost a step. 
up, he's dropping balls. But then to come up so big in the playoffs and make so many plays, you know, that was one of the key reasons why they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, I, let's. Uh, I'm going to give probably a different take than people have heard, but something very simple. Here's a guy who has been the greatest tight end statistically, perhaps ever. Certainly, Gronkowski was extraordinary, and Tony Gonzalez and the Chiefs were amazing. But you know, he's having a very mediocre year, and uh, I get into the psychology and, and the and the you know emotional state. And starting with during the World Series, you know, the Chiefs lost at Denver and and played very poorly for two months, really. And uh, I'd liken that to, uh, ascribe that to perhaps to some degree, here's a guy who's fallen in love. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to talk about that off the field stuff. He's fallen in love with the, currently the most famous person on the planet. I mean, you can say Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump or whoever you want to throw out there, but really popular person and who's also deeply emotionally uh, wise, if, if with her own track record, but I think most people don't give her credit for how much she has grown. And I think that took a little bit away. So here's my little insight. As soon as Jason Kelsey, who Travis, you know, does his podcast every week, you know, The Heights, as soon as he was done with his own season, he comes to Buffalo and he's in the suite with Taylor and I think psychologically, because I can remember what it was like for me, I'm trying to give you guys some, some personal insight here, to turn around on the sidelines and see my parents in the box next to Al Davis in the box right next to him outside, that is a beautiful thing. And, and you do your work mentally and emotionally to be ready to play no matter what, to not let the 80,000 people and lots of you know, people shouting beautiful Shakespearean sonnets intended to distract you. You do all that work. But still, Travis may be mentally and physically tough, but to know his brother was there, to I think took some pressure off of him. His brother's there, sort of like a an emotional bodyguard for Taylor Swift in the suite. I just think that allowed him to just relax and get back to who Travis was, because Travis was not Travis for about two months, and he'd not he'd only caught one touchdown pass in eight games, which is just not like him. And then look what happened. I mean, just extraordinary performances against Buffalo. Baltimore, 11 targets, 11 catches. <laughs> and, and then, of course, um, weird outburst in the first half, which uh, no one should excuse. But, you know, people will explain that he was just so wanted it too bad. And then, of course, comes through with a lot of the big plays in the last couple drives and 93 yards receiving and I think eight catches, eight or nine catches, in the Super Bowl itself. So Travis, I think, is finding himself through um, really managing this large, much larger-than-life relationship. Um, and because he's been weathered by so many years of being in the spotlight, being on Saturday Night Live, et cetera, he could handle it. But it's not that he could handle it perfectly. I think it took a, took a while and uh, we'll see what happens this next year. But that's my little take that perhaps, just perhaps, he was able to come through and help Patrick be Patrick again in the playoffs when it mattered and take us to a Super Bowl championship for the very fact that his brother could be in the suite and, uh, and he could focus on this new love relationship. And so he could get back to, he could be get back to playing football. 
And then you also, I've heard you make comments about what Patrick has done in terms of when you they went through that stretch in the middle of the year when they were dropping balls and it wasn't just Kelsey, it was Scanling and Tony and and, and Sneed and, and, and Rice. I mean, uh, they were, that he didn't throw his teammates under the bus. He said, it's I have to throw Never. a better pass. You know, even though he threw the most perfect pass any anyone could ever see, because he's, you know, he said, it's my fault, it's all on me. I think that when you see your leader taking the hits, when you see the leader answering the questions and taking responsibility, I think that just, you know, it makes the team say, we got to try harder. We got to. And I think that was the perfect way. He, this this ship could have been crashing into the, the sea, but he actually was able to keep it afloat and uh, for the team to get confidence. You know, um, th- this show is on oldies stations. So we've got I'm just going to guess that you have people that have been around a little <laughs> bit more than some. This is not a, a demographic of 15 and 18 year olds for the most part, although I'm sure they're very welcome to listen to this great music. But having said that, got to give credit. To Clark Hunt, who, by the way, was a 16-year-old ball boy charting me against Jan Stenerud and was the first one to tell his dad, Lamar Hunt, the legendary Lamar Hunt, that I was going to beat out Stenerud. And Clark understood to hire somebody in Andy Reid because of what you need on your team is congruent leadership values, the deepest core values. And so look at the way that Andy handled that ridiculous bumping incident with Travis in the, in the Super Bowl. He did not throw Travis under the bus. He could have. Just as you said, Patrick didn't throw anybody on the, on the, under the bus. And I'm writing my book, which is called Naked and Alone with 80,000 People. And one of the first things I say is this, you know, that being a kicker, being a very good kicker, is, is still really difficult. And the lesson that I learned while being rejected by 11, 11 times by eight different teams is the kicker can't make excuses. And that's really true for all the, all the great leaders. When you start making excuses, you are just siphoning off any power that you have. When you own your stuff, even unfairly own your stuff, as Patrick, as you just said, did, people look to you and say, this guy, he comes through. Most of the time, he comes through. Patrick, against the Raiders, we had a terrible interception and a fumble on consecutive plays. And uh, that was the low point. But what did he do with it? We had another low point, you know, with Buffalo, with that weird thing where Kadarius Tony lined up just five inches offside, even though they hadn't been calling it the rest of the game. And he exploded. He lost it, too. But no one threw him under the bus for the same reason he didn't do it to his teammates. That kind of leadership is not easy. When you're at the top of the mountain, everybody's looking for a crack. Everybody's looking for a way to take you down. And I have to say, Patrick is such a beautiful person and leader. And for the most part, <laughs> Travis is too. I'm I'm a little worried about about the uh, you know the sense of Superman that comes with so much success. And now you're dating the most famous woman in the world. But I think that what's good is this didn't happen to Travis when he was 27 and 28. You know, the both of Taylor and, and he are, are 34. But let's get back to Patrick. Just an incredible combination with a head coach that has the same values with an owner that understands that too. They stay together. You have a team that doesn't throw itself under the bus. It doesn't sabotage itself. That it doesn't put bulletin board material. Um, Patrick literally, you know, compliments, as you saw in that series quarterback, he compliments other players and other teams when they hit him hard and they throw him down and maybe even cheap shot him. He goes, good job. Good job. You know, I've never seen anybody like that that's, that's that aware 
of not giving away his own power and actually keep putting out positive energy when other people are spitting at him. And let's talk about, you were a three-time Pro Bowler, first team All-Pro two years. Uh, When you were retired, you were the first in the NFL in field goal percentage, the most field goals in NFL history. Three times you led the league in field goal percentage. Um, You've been on 2020 nominated for the Hall of Fame, which I I think you should get. There's only two kickers in the Hall of Fame. We'll get there later. But the kicker that the Chiefs have now, Harrison Buckner, this past year, sort of goes under. People don't talk so much. He was 33 of 35, only missed two field goals all year, perfect on extra points. And when he goes against a game like the Ravens, where he's going against Justin Tucker, who's you know, considered the best kicker out there now, you know, goes toe-to-toe with him. So it's pretty amazing. Harrison really is, is, a, is a good constant on this team that struggled in the red zone, that wasn't able to score touchdowns without losing Tyreek Hill. So he was extremely important for this team this year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, there is no question who the best kicker in the NFL was this year. Absolutely none. Harrison Butker was 46 for 48, I believe, counting the playoffs. I mean, let's just talk about the playoff game. Four field goals, 57-yarder, and that was a high snap. So what happens on a high snap? Tommy Townsend did a good job, got it down quickly. But you have you go from maybe two-tenths of a second to see the ball when it's not being spun. When it's you know it's just right there, two-tenths of a second. And you're moving towards it to maybe one-tenth of a second. That's it. And yet, and he hit it low, but he nailed it right down the pipe. So uh, he's humble as they come, and he's just dependable as they come. I mean, that 23 below game, he had four fewer goals, and I was there. I mean, it was. <laughs> I think that I think that sort of took our our uh, fans to another level. You know, the toughness to everybody showed up and and to to beat Miami and Tariq Hill, except for that one touchdown pass, I think only had eight yards receiving. And then you look at the Super Bowl and how he shut down George Kittle. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. But in the end, um, I'm just proud of this team. And our kicker, you could argue, Harrison Bucker was the, the MVP of that game. And he had six field goals in another key game, um, which was set an NFL record, I think, with six consecutive field goals with a team um, without scoring a touchdown. And, uh, you know, he is the best kicker. If he continues this, um, it's humbling for me to watch. I mean, I was the most accurate kicker in NFL history. By the way, I was on seven different Pro Bowl teams, I mean, all pro teams during my career. And, and uh, you know, and yet I see a guy who's just taken it to an altogether higher level. And then talk about Jake Moody with the missed extra point, which it was weird. When I was watching the game, I think they didn't show it. Like it was cut away. It wasn't like, but that was, of course, crucial. And, and for someone like you, who was, I think in your career on extra points was, was 99%, 562 to 568. What, in terms of that, how, what, did you see what happened when they missed that extra point? Was it rushed? I mean, we, I haven't heard a lot of discussion about. No, he just hit it low. He just hit it low. That's all he did. He hit it low. And so somebody got a hand on it in the middle that really had not made a lot of penetration. And you got to give him credit. I hope, you know, knowing how, um, you know, when you've got millions of fans, people want to scapegoat so easily today, hiding behind the anonymity of social media. I bet you there were some knuckleheads that said, oh, he lost the game. He hit, Jake Moody hit a 53-yarder with a minute 40 left that could easily have been the winner, Right. So please give me a break. That is a great performance. He did hit it low. Um, and guess what? We're all human, but he had a 55 yarder earlier. I mean, come on. And then in terms of 
we, everybody wants to know is that, you know, the, the kickers stand on the sideline. They know what could potentially happen. They know the whole game is going to come down to that kick. I mean, how do you deal with the pressure? Because it's like the players are in the action. They're moving. They're moving around. There is pressure, but they're actually moving. You're just thinking about that one play, and then they, they ice the kicker, and then they go call a timeout. How do you deal with that pressure before that big kick? Well, I, I did a show. You guys can look up. Uh, it's been. I've kept the website. It's called Head Games Radio. I did a show for three years, five days a week on Sirius Satellite, Channel 121. And I, I did an interview, I think it was with Bart Connor, who had, I think, the first perfect 10 in um, U.S. gymnastics um, in the Olympics. And one thing he said was, you know, he made practice. He made his rehearsal, if you will, uh, with enough pressure like the actual performance that he could literally switch when he were, when he's at the actual game or, or in this case, you know, Olympic competition and say, I'm back at practice. That's what you do as a kicker. That's what you do. Uh, hopefully in every practice, the great coaches like Andy, like Bill Belichick, like Pete Carroll, when, when I was with the jets, they make the practices much like a game. I, I call it healthy pressure. Right. Um, and I call it voluntary adversity. You know, you're, you're used to that level of pressure because you can't be in shock. You've got to expect it's got to come to you. So you practice like an actor, not only visualizing the situations and making sure you know that it, that certainly is, can happen, but you also emotionally project, how am I going to feel the confidence of what it's going to be like all those things of the environment itself so that, you're already ready. Your cellular memory is not in shock because you've expected it. You're ready for it. And that doesn't mean just being ready with a minute left in the game. It means being ready in the first quarter, in the second quarter, because a missed extra point in the first quarter can still affect, always seems to affect the strategy and what happens at the end of the game. So as a kicker, that's your job. You are Billy the Kid. You've got one shot, and you've got to make every single one work. And that standard is so missing in today's society. Like with kids today, you know, who, who don't have enough role models of people like Patrick Mahomes, which is another reason why he's loved so much, they need to see that leadership and performance and greatness is taking response. What a concept. Taking responsibility, owning your stuff, being so prepared. You know, being prepared, that's where luck happens, right? When attitude and preparation meet opportunity, it's amazing what happens. And one question I've also I want to ask you about in terms of the, how the game of kicking has, how the, the job of cooking, kicking has changed. The kickoffs has been de-emphasized. You know, there's not, you know, you're, they're just kicking and you can call a fair catch to be on the 25-yard line. There's no onside kicks anymore. What do you feel about the fact that they're really sort of eliminating the whole kickoff from the game? Well, I've, I've hosted um, and I've been part of Lee Steinberg's brain panel at his events, but I've hosted semi-major events here. I had one with the uh, W, the premiere, the pre-premiere of the movie Concussion on concussions with hockey coaches, the assistant head coach for the Coyotes and the, the play-by-play guys and all of the, and Jim McMahon and, and Lincoln Kennedy, a lot of famous football players, Kwame Lasseter, et cetera, and the top neurologists from Mayo, Banner, Barrow, et cetera. So I'm sensitive to, to that because Mike Webster, my own teammate, who's, you know, whose brain, if you will, is, you know, the subject of that movie concussion with Will Smith playing 
Dr. Bennett Amalu, and who talks about chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So it's, it's understandable that they've had to figure out somewhat awkward solutions to that. For instance, now you can't start running because they, they believe that the optimum speed when you start 10 yards farther back, the collisions are so incredible that the, the worst injuries take place. So that's why they've, they've done that. But let me, let me tell you a couple other things with kicking. The uh, if you watch Roy Jurell, I'll never forget a game. The kicker for the Steelers way back in the in the late seventies, and he's literally pulling up one and two foot square clods of of grass and dirt, and that's the way a lot of fields were back then. They got a little better in the eighties, a little bit better in the nineties, and now it's as if if anybody that plays golf and a lot of people play golf in southern florida right if you're always hitting out of the rough you're going to probably add a couple strokes to your handicap right and now you've got fields that are beautiful that don't pull apart uh, hopefully more grass fields and this sort of prescription grass which has a net under it and so so the the grass is in, has integrity doesn't fall apart right so uh, on top of that, Jan Stenerud's asked me to mention this. I'm like, Jan, you're already in the Hall of Fame. Why don't you mention it? But he hasn't. But the, uh, the balls, if you look at statistics with punting and kicking, starting about eight, nine years ago, they started to break the, ball, the footballs in. So imagine if you played baseball with a new mitt, you had to get some linseed oil and you had to rough it up and loosen up that leather. Well, when the, it's not an exact example, but it is absolutely rings true that when footballs are broken in, guess what? They go farther. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the foot is connected to, here's some science for you. The, the foot is connected to the ball, transfers its energy into the ball, the kicking foot and the body itself for four thousandths of a second. So if the ball's broken in and suddenly you only add one thousandth of a second more contact time because the ball's depressing into the football that's 25 percent more control and power so about eight nine years ago look at the stats check them out literally automatically all of the punters the average punt the average net punt went up five yards boom and kickoff same thing so now let's imagine like the golfer you're on the tee and you suddenly instead of hitting a 250 yard drive you can hit almost a 300-yard drive without even trying. You don't have to strain and try to kill it. Well, that's happening with kickers now at 50-yarders. They're better. It's just not that much better. The ball is easier to kick, so it does make a difference. Coaching's better, all those other things, field conditions. Kickers are better. They're just not that much better. The conditions when you have a ball, you know, you talk about deflate gate. Everybody makes a big deal out of the football then, but they haven't made an equal deal out of the fact that the balls are easier now to kick. And then I can't believe how many of my friends' kids uh, love being kickers. I, I, they are uh, kicking is becoming such an in thing for a lot of people to do. For and so, what advice would you give to an eight year old, a nine year old, ten year old that that really loves kicking and they go out there and it's it's become I think popular. I mean that fact that these kids really enjoy just to be a kicker and they want to be a kicker in the NFL. Maybe you know thanks to you in terms of adding all the excitement to it. But it seems like more than ever people want to be kickers. Yeah, I uh, 
I will say it's a little different. My rookie salary was 30000 I was the highest paid kicker in the NFL for 10 years, thanks to Lee Steinberg and, uh, and uh, Art Kaminsky back in the day. And I, I, I didn't make it to quite to a million. Now the average kickers are you know, making two and three million, and some are making six and seven million. And um, you know, that's a nice incentive, but hopefully it's just to be great. To be great at what you do. So I'll, I'll tell you a couple things for, for young kickers. Number one, play lots of soccer. I played soccer 10 hours a day when oh, I was wow. living in London. And a, another story for maybe an interview for when I'm in, uh, you know, in, in West Palm Beach on Tuesday, um, an interesting thing, my father was chief of station for the CIA in London in 1965, 6, and 7. So uh, I only found that out when he died, by the way. I knew he was senior, uh, senior CIA, but I'm playing soccer all day before school. In, in school during recess in, on the sports etc and playing tons of soccer that's the first thing and that's also when England hosted and won the World Cup um, which is pretty cool and then I come back and I, I can tell you young kickers can take uh, martial arts or ballet that makes a huge difference I took ballet twice a week for an hour and a half two hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the in the summer before my junior season and i missed zero kicks the next year wow zero and then the third thing is practice at a small target so if your average you know college goalposts are 18 18 and a half feet wide if you practice at a target that's eight feet wide it just makes you better and then finally there's a great book called the inner game of tennis but I've, read, I've read that. I've re- I play tennis. So I read that book. It's excellent. But I play a lot of tennis. And my brother was a tennis pro, and it's it's actually the best book on sports psychology, the best primer, the best first book to read because it makes you own your stuff and realize that conversation that's happening when you're seeing that guy on the tennis court or the guy on the sidelines yelling at himself. <laughs> there's got to be enough. There got to be two people in that conversation. So managing what that book calls self one and self two. One is the observer. The other is the judger. And taking control of that so that you manage your state. You, you're relaxed, but you're alert. Those are the prime emotional categories or states you've got to have to be a great kicker, really a great athlete of any kind. That's fantastic. I, I love all the insight you've given on kicking. And one last question was about all the humanitarian work you do with the Nick Lowry Youth Foundation. You've already won the Byron Wizard White Humanitarian Award, uh, but you've in, you know, went to uh, Harvard and got an MPA at, at, at public policy at Harvard, and you went to Dartmouth undergrad. But all the work you've done in terms of public service has been fantastic. So talk a little about your foundation and the work you do to help uh, homeless and everything. Well, you know, I just feel blessed. It started with Kick with Nick for Cerebral Palsy and work with Native Americans and started Native Vision, which was on Oprah. And all those things are building blocks. And so Champions for the Homeless is, to me, um, acknowledging that all of us uh, need to restore uh, in others in our lives the sense of root- rootedness, the sense of being connected. We all crave that. So I've done that for 17 years. I also, and I love it, it's put a human face on the homeless. We made Phoenix the first city in the country to provide free uh, COVID testing for the homeless. And um, and then now I'm involved in a couple things. Uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, I'll be doing an event in West Palm Beach with Dr. Oz for the Health Corps. The idea behind the Health Corps, we just did an event on the Sunday after the Super Bowl, as I mentioned, that, that to promote uh, a new generation of, of, again, independent health, that kids grow up realizing what they put in their bodies, what they put in their minds, what they put in their souls is up to them. 
they're in control of that. And, and also uh, a mentoring program and a health program that helps uh, revitalize the role of significant athletes in inspiring people and helping bring out the best in other people. And that's a great thing. And finally, I'm, I'm working with Alzheimer's Treatment Centers of America uh, to, because as you know, the state in the country that has the most people with Alzheimer's, by the way, is Florida and creating um, a, a new model using AI uh, to look at thousands of indicators that create dementia and Alzheimer's. My mother had dementia. My brother, Chris, died two and a half years ago uh, with complications from Alzheimer's. And so it's an incredibly important thing. It's related to CTE and, and overall brain health and function. And I'm, I'm proud to be part of that. And then it uses not only AI, it uses what we call um, a team of doctors, if you will, uh, targeted to look at what AI has has prescribed and, and edit it so that it really is targeted. And we can look at hundreds and then thousands of people early on when they have the early stages of dementia and literally 75% of the time already we can stop deterioration. So imagine people aging with dignity, with grace, and with clear heads. Because as we get older, those stories, that's what we take with us. And I'm proud to be, you know, promoting Alzheimer's treatment centers and what it can do to, I think, change the whole notion of how we age. That's tremendous. Is the event on Tuesday open to the public? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. But, uh, but, but with the money that we're raising there, we're going to make sure that we can reach more people all over the country with this message with NFL alumni, which are also based, by the way, in Florida, um, to raise the game, you know, too much, as we know, in prescription models of health, uh, rely on people taking pills and not taking responsibility for how they take care of themselves physically, emotionally. It's mental health as well. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be part of that. Nick, thank you so much for coming on IRS Sports. I really appreciate it. Have a safe, you know, uh, have a great event tomorrow in West Palm Beach. And I, and I really thank you for coming on and talking about the Chiefs and talking about kicking and everything. So appreciate it a lot. Thank you, brother. Thanks a lot. Bless you. Thank you.